Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor. In today's episode, we're looking at how accelerators have influenced financial services and fintech. According to the Brookings Institution, there are more than 1,300 accelerators globally, all looking to unearth the next big thing and nurture a generation of founders. But what has been the impact of the accelerators on the fintech ecosystem? What's the biggest challenge both for accelerators and their startups? And what does the next generation of accelerators look like as market forces, work culture, and ideas of success all evolve? We'll discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a brief word on what's happening here at 11FS. Your favourite fintech insiders are back in London for After Dark Homecoming. Join us at Village Underground on Wednesday, 21st of September, where we'll be taking things back to the beginning and recording our new show live. You can secure your spot now at 11fs.com forward slash After Dark. That is 11fs.com forward slash After Dark. We look forward to seeing you there. As you gear up for autumn, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier. Tap into the world's largest professional network with over 30 million people in the UK. Create a job post in minutes and spread the word so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Just add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to find candidates with just the right skills and experience. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires compared with leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster, and you can post a job for free. Just visit linkedin.com slash fintech. That's linkedin.com slash fintech. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some light on this topic. First off, we have a Fintech Insider debut for George Windsor, Research and Data Director at TechNation. Welcome to the show, George. Can you give our audience an introduction to you and to TechNation, please? Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, great to be here. So I'm, I'm George, Data and Research Director at TechNation. Uh, TechNation is the growth platform for tech companies and leaders. And we work with founders, uh, tech leaders, scaling tech companies so that we can transform societies and economies. And we provide these companies with coaching, uh, with content, and with the community they need uh, in order to really progress on their scaling journey, to grow as fast as they can. Uh, We've worked with some of the UK's best-known fintech companies, companies like Revolut, Monzo, Marshmallow, Starling Bank, uh, all of whom have have been through our growth programs. Uh, And I'm responsible for all things information and evidence. So that's providing that injection of robust data for decision making for those startups and scale ups, but also governments and corporates who, of course, support them on that journey. Some impressive names among your alumni. Thank you so much for joining us. It's also a fintech insider debut for Mark Oliver Hauser, head of Europe at F10. Welcome, Mark. What should our audience know about you and about F10? Well, thank you so much for having me as well. Super glad to to be here today. I'm obviously a frequent listener to 
the different 11FS shows. So super glad to be joining myself. Maybe about myself, um, for the listeners interesting, is that I work with startups for over 15 years now and have co-founded two startups myself. So I really know the startup side, but I also have seen the other side, especially on the financial services companies, the big incumbent companies, for example, work six years with UBS Wealth Management as well as in strategy consulting. And currently since uh, approximately a year running um, F10 for our European part. And about F10, F10 really is a global innovation ecosystem, which means we are bringing the platform forward to bring together the um, incumbent companies like the stock exchange in Switzerland, but also Julius Baer, for example, who is a, is obviously a global wealth management company with then startups in the fintech area, but more and more diving also into web free topics, metaverse topics and, um, the likes. So, um, really bringing these toes things together and bringing through that collaboration between the two parties innovation to a next level in the companies. And yeah, maybe we are around since 2015 as F10 and have a presence currently in Switzerland where I'm based in Spain, Singapore, and are currently also going into the Nordics for a special climate meets fintech um, program. Fantastic. Welcome, Mark. And finally, we have a return for Valentina Christensen, Head of PR and Marketing at Oak North. Thank you so much for joining us again, Valentina. Can you tell our audience about Oak North, though I suspect many of them have heard of you, um, and also your tech accelerator experience, please? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm, I'm my job title is actually Director of Growth and Communications at Oak North, but it's great to be back uh, here on the show. Um, yeah, for those of you who, who haven't heard of Oak North before, we launched in 2015, um, and really we're on a mission to empower uh, SMEs. Um, we've actually had a couple of experiences in tech accelerators. Also, in addition to those uh, names that George mentioned, we were part of the FinTech 2.0 growth program uh, with Tech Nation back in 2019. Um, and then uh, the FIS FinTech Accelerator program last year, which was the sixth year of the program. Fantastic. Well, it's great to have uh, you all here. And Valentina, I apologize for, for getting your, your title wrong. Okay, well, let's start by looking at uh, startup accelerators and their influence as a whole. And, and perhaps we could start with what's the difference between a startup accelerator and an incubator? And I think I'm going to come to you, Mark, because I believe F10 does both. Um, and perhaps you can just explain to our audience, what's the difference between an incubator and an accelerator? Thanks a lot. Yeah. So how we see it, we um, focus the incubation part more on the early stage. So younger companies, sometimes it's just a few founders coming together with an idea. They have early validation around. And then the acceleration is in, in our case, focusing on the collaboration with corporate parties and really making impact through proof of concepts that are rolled out or also then full blown implementations. Fantastic. George, how would you define the sort of the core aims of a startup accelerator? I mean, you gave us a bit of a sense of it as you introduced yourself, but what, what do you see as the aims of what are you trying to do? So I guess with the, the growth programs, as we call them, um, that we run as Tech Nation, the aims are truly to accelerate the growth of a company. So they're, they're already likely to be companies with high growth and high potential. And what we try to do is working with the leaders of those companies really take them to the next stage. And, and that looks like providing peer-to-peer -peer support. Much of the advice that companies need um, is actually in the hands of those people that have been there and done it before. So it's making sure that they have access to coaches, to companies that are perhaps at that next stage of growth. 
um, and they can give them lots of that advice. But uh, a lot of it is collaborative problem solving and companies working together in order to meet the needs of their respective businesses too. Uh, alongside that, of course, um, as Tech Nation who doesn't take equity and doesn't uh, sort of uh, have a stake in these companies, we are able to introduce firms to investors, to government, to other corporates, and hopefully act as that useful broker to again accelerate the kinds of relationships that companies are building uh, in order to accelerate their growth. Um, for us as a, an organization uh, in working with many of these companies, we've changed our model uh, quite considerably over the years and from running programs as Valentina mentioned, like our FinTech 2.0 program, which was really predicated on bringing people together and doing so in an Ill, in real life situation. We're now moving towards a model where we're increasingly using hybrid, uh, I guess, approaches to accelerating the growth of these companies. So we now have our growth program, which is our online platform, uh, rather our growth platform, which is our online platform uh, to, to help companies connect with one another and others in the ecosystem, as well as having those really important moments for companies to meet one another in real life uh, and work with scale coaches too. You made a series of really interesting points there, and I want to pick up on several of them. But I think the one I'd love to start with is this one of you, you made the point about potential and sort of investing in high potential founders. I'm going to come over to you, Valentina. Um, what do you think makes startups or, or founders sort of good accelerator material? Is um, What do you think makes a founder um, someone who's likely to benefit from being part of an accelerator? Yeah, so I think, I mean, it's, you know, an accelerator sort of has benefit, it will give you as much benefit as you're willing to sort of put into it. I think, um, you know, there's there's the mentoring, there's the networking aspects, there's introductions to investors. Um, so obviously, you know, you're looking for founders and, and founding teams that, um, you know, are obviously willing to, to go out and, and sort of take advantage of all the meetings listen to the advice of the mentors, but but also importantly and crucially, uh, know whose advice to listen to, right? Not to get pulled in a million different directions depending on uh, who they're speaking to that day. Um, you know, obviously you want to think carefully about, you know, sort of who's going to be the face of your brand. Um, so which of the founding, which member of the founding team, if there is multiple, uh, will, will be presenting. Um, because obviously that can have a really big impact in terms of securing investment, in terms of uh, media coverage, uh, and in terms of engagement with your other stakeholders. So, um, you know, you are looking for quite a, a unique blend of, of skills. Um, but obviously the hope is that the, you know, um, that the founding team will obviously be ha will have a, a fantastic team of individuals, um, you know, with them who, uh, who can help them behind the scenes as well. Mm. Maybe if I may, just to add on, like what we see is really this, um, this what, um, point that you mentioned, right? The more time and the more energy a startup or a founder is able or willing to put into, the more they will benefit. And maybe also what we always say is we can only bring the buffet and bring the food and the different elements like the mentoring, the networking opportunities, the speaking opportunities and co-learning or alumni exchange and whatnot. But you need to go pick up the food yourself and eat yourself, right? We can't eat for you. And so that's, that's really super important. And then maybe on the other point that you mentioned uh, with regards to listening to advice, 
I um, always try to urge founders to triangulate, meaning like if you have a sensitive or very crucial topic to um, to decide on, have advice from more than one person, especially if the advice differs between different people you talk to and or it's a big decision. Don't just speak to one person and take that advice because everyone will give you advice and for them, the impact of doing the wrong choice is very small, whereas for a startup, it can be really meaningful to get the right advice and that's triangulation, talking to many people, getting a few perspectives, and obviously in the end, making their own decisions. When would you turn down um, founders uh, or startups that want to be part of an accelerator? What are some of those sort of red flags, which, you know, Valentina was talking about, some of the things that make people successful. (laughs) What what are your sort of red flags where you think this is not a a startup that's going to benefit from our programs? I mean, in in our point, uh, or in our case, really, it's about coachability. So if we have the feeling that they have all the answers themselves and are not willing to listen to more um, and inputs and at least consider, then that's definitely a no-no for us. And so, no, normally, so no teenagers then? <laughs> well, no teenagers, yes. <laughs> but um, even then, right? So sometimes you have really young founders who are just humble enough to know I don't know mm-hmm. and are open to listen and I think it's really important and we try to poke this a little bit also when we do the interviews for the for the final selection which we for example challenge on something and say hey but this this can't work and then depending on how how the other side reacts you know how they will also um, take advice from them the mentors or um, our coaches in the program do you agree George yeah, as as Technation, um, we've worked with just over a thousand companies over the last eight years who have been through our growth programs. And um, I guess our sort of internally we say, look, we're we're elite, but we're not exclusive. Um, we will uh, look at the performance of a company. We have quite strict eligibility criteria in order to make sure that we are working with those firms that are going to get most benefit from our programs, those with the highest potential and Companies that are already, um, if not scaling up, um, very close to being there. And when we talk about scaling up, we're thinking about companies that have a particular sort of or meet a particular standard of growth. So it is about growth in employment or growth in turnover. Um, we also work with companies, of course, who are venture backed. Many of the companies, in fact, uh, most of the companies we work with are venture backed. And again, that's a good indicator, although not exclusively so, as Mark mentioned. Um, we also have a layer of uh human engagement with these companies we have a panel uh, we have a series of panels of independent judges we've worked with um uh, over 900 judges some who have been repeated across different programs uh, but who give that human element and do give a sense of whether these companies would be the right fit for a certain program whether they would get the kind of benefit that they'd expect to see um, and based on their experience that they've seen other companies get from these kind of accelerator programs. So, um, yeah, a mesh, I think, of um, the quantitative assessment alongside that qualitative human touch to things, I think, is really important. Um, but I, I think it's fair to say that uh, given we see a 15 times return on investment um, based on uh, our our programs, um, of course, our model is slightly different from some more commercially focused accelerator models. Uh, we know that we're making a good impact and the companies that we work with are getting the benefit from it. I think that's the, the next area I want to go into is in how much how much influence have accelerator programs had in sort of shaping the 
the past decade of fintech. I mean, Valentina, you know, George reeled off some illustrious names when he, you know, talked to, uh, talked about the companies that Technation has worked off. Um, you know, F10 has worked with some impressive companies too. Would fintech look very different if we hadn't had accelerators? What do you think? How 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 big a role have accelerators played? I do think the industry would look pretty different um, if it wasn't for the role of accelerators. I think, um, you know, I mean, and again, it's not, I'm not sort of lumping all accelerators into one bucket because just like any type of backer or supporter, and if you look in private equity, for example, there's a very big range in terms of the quality of investors, uh, just as there's a very big range in the terms of the quality of accelerators. But I think, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think back to our cohort. We had names like Credit Kudos, which was obviously acquired by Apple earlier this year. Uh, primary bid, which uh, which closed a $190 million round early this year, um, you know, and, and obviously Oak North has, has uh, done pretty well in the years since 2019. Um, and, you know, I think it's more that, you know, you're, you're kind of really getting into that ecosystem, you're meeting those investors, you're meeting potential partners. And um, again, a number of the fintechs that have come out of Tech Nations Accelerator and others, other accelerators, um, uh, True Layer is, is one that comes to mind. Um, you know, our, our fintechs that we've partnered with, um, uh, you know, and, and I think, again, that's the opportunity to, to sort of share best practice and learnings with your peers and be able to uh, sort of get a little bit of uh, a check in the box in terms of their credibility. You know, if, if they've made it onto the accelerator, then they must be pretty good. And that's obviously... Um, you know that can obviously be quite reassuring, especially when you're when you're a startup or you're a few years in growing your business, and uh, and you want to know you're sort of choosing the right partners. So, um, you know, I think that accelerators have definitely had a big impact in in fintech. But um, like everything, you know, it's it's very much um, the the high quality accelerators rather than um, a sort of homogenous blob of of all accelerators. Got it. Um... I'm tempted to ask you what it looks like uh, from from the inside, but I think maybe we need to move move, move on into the into some of the challenges um, based on that. So, what are some of the challenges? I think maybe interested to hear the challenges for the accelerators, and then maybe some of the you know the, the aspects from the sort of fintech um, or, or startup perspective. So, um, sort of Mark and George, what are what are some of the biggest pain points of running a startup accelerator I mean, it sounds sounds amazing you're doing all this cool stuff you've got all these super interesting startups with fantastic ideas and yet you know not every you know, you know not every idea turns out to be a good idea what are the things that you you wrestle with most um maybe should we start with you mark and then and then go to you george it's a good question and i was just like um thinking while you were speaking and Big challenges, I think, is more and more that the, in, uh, the environment has changed for the um, accelerator game. Right when I think back, when I had my first startup early, like over ten years ago, there was almost no support around, and maybe these days there is almost too much. Right, we have like there was so much success in these models that now we have so many um, suppliers for startups to go to. That sometimes it's um, it's just like the challenge of being hurt by the right startups. I think obviously YC uh, it's clear, but then also like well, how we try to address this is really focusing on just on fintech, insurtech, and maybe nearby web-free blockchain topics and ignore everything left, right, and center. And just as the advice we give to the startups, also focus on a niche. Niche we try to do the same. 
Um, I think that's definitely a challenge that we are seeing these days. Yeah, from from a technician side, I guess we we totally see that too. I, I mean, based on some research that just came out the other day from the Center for Entrepreneurs, it showed that in the UK over the last five years, the number of accelerator programs has doubled. And uh, and that means that we see a very saturated market. Of course, we have to differentiate on the basis of continuing to offer something different from other organizations out there, offering something highly impactful and something that is going to truly be meaningful for the companies that go on to our growth programs. But we also have to, on the other side of the coin, make sure that we're responding to market needs. Of course, we're working in an environment where things are changing so quickly. So uh, a challenge that might have been experienced six months ago will no longer be in existence and uh, and maybe a new challenge has emerged and we need to make sure that's reflected in what we're doing with our programs um so that's really important too i think that that element of change that mark mentioned is is quite multifaceted then alongside that i think one of the challenges that i would i would mention is that there are so many great companies that that we could potentially work with and just determining who those companies are going to be is a challenge in its own right um determining how to best ensure that we are delivering on impact for individual firms, but also ultimately delivering on impact for the UK um, is is something that we're constantly wrestling with. And I think it will never be, uh, there'll never be a standstill, there'll never be a perfect method for it. We have to just continue to evolve. Um, and finally, I'd say, uh, I mean, as Technation, we have a number of programs that run through from very early stages of growth to late stage, the companies I mentioned when I introed were just those companies that have been on our Future 50 program. So, yeah, and I let Valentina do the the, the great work of introducing Oak North. Um, but we've had a whole range of amazing companies that are sort of evolving through the Technation programs as they evolve through their growth journey. And again, making sure that they get something that is going to reflect that massive growth that they've seen. Uh, is really important for us too. So uh, not just providing that kind of cookie cutter model for running an accelerator program, uh, one that companies that have already been with us will maybe get a bit tired of, but making sure we're keeping it fresh and keeping it relevant. Maybe just to add on on the selection topic, right? Um, I think it's harder and harder the earlier you work with a startup. So the stage as we speak to the startup, it's really sometimes it's super, super early and we don't know, right? Even they don't know if there is a real problem. It sounds compelling. And then you really need to look at the, the founders, the team. Um, do they understand the problem um, they are trying to address? Have they maybe experienced the problem they set themselves? So um, selection in the very early stages is uh, definitely always a challenge. Valentina, I know you're not, um, you're not a startup anymore, but what, what are some of the challenges facing founders? And do you think those have changed over time? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like anything, um, sort of the law of diminishing returns. And I think about, you know, when Oak North Bank first launched back in 2015, we were the third new bank in 150 years. I imagine for a new bank coming to the market or just having secured its license uh, in the last 12 months, that sort of when you go out to market, there's, um, you know, not only is it more challenging because you're being compared to the more established players, the Monzo, Starlings, Ognos, et cetera, but you're also, um, you know, you're also getting less media interest, um, you know, and less general stakeholder interest because, you know, they're sort of like, okay, well, we've already heard of a challenger bank and we've already seen, um, you know, uh, seen plenty uh, like you before. Um, so I think I think that's definitely a challenge. And so one of the key things is that from the accelerator perspective, they need to sort of make sure they don't cash all their chips in that first 
you know, cohort of first two cohorts, but actually that they continue, um, you know, to have a very sort of, uh, you know, as you say, elite, if not exclusive, streamlined sort of uh, selection process to ensure that the quality of the businesses coming in stays very high, um, you know, that they need to continue investing in uh, or, or building their, their active investor network, right? Because again, if you have that first cohort coming in, or second cohort, and then over time, the number of investors who are willing to participate gets less, then obviously that can, um, you know, that can be a real issue. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you're really nurturing your alumni network so that those fintechs or the startups that joined previous cohorts are coming back, and those founders and sharing their learnings, and Rishi did that with Tech Nation, um, you know, with, with later cohorts. Um, you know, I think uh, certainly... Um, for for a lot of businesses, it can be challenging because you come into these environments and you're sort of comparing yourself, you know, in so many ways. So did they secure more investment than me? Are they further along in their journey? How many employees do they have? Should I have that many employees? Oh, well, they have a they have a head of ESG or a director of ESG. Should we have that? Uh, you know, they have um, what looks like a much more sophisticated sort of corporate finance team. Uh, their founder is such a good spokesperson and such a good presenter. And so on and so on. So I think, um, again, that's where it's really important to sort of actually use those experiences to learn from your peers um, and to say, actually, you know what, is that something we need at this stage in our business or will we ever need that, um, you know, to learn from them and to, to definitely leverage the, you know, the advice of the mentors to, to hopefully, um, you know, build those, those capabilities within your, own, within your own business. That's a really, really interesting point about the, the, the danger of, sort of being influenced too much by some of the other participants. Um, on the point you made about um, diminishing returns, uh, Valentina, do, do we think we end up at a point where ex- some accelerators start to, to struggle? Um, I mean, I suppose it's open to any, any, any of you, but do, do we hit a point where some of the accelerators maybe fail? I mean, either, you know, not necessarily go out of business, but fail to really add value to some of their startups because there's just so many accelerators. Is that, are we at sort of market saturation for accelerators? I mean, again, I think it sort of depends on the accelerator, right? Because you've, if they continue to do those things, they continue to you know, build a large active investor network. They continue to nurture, um, you know, their, their, their alumni and make sure that they come back and share their learnings um, you know, then then hopefully they'll continue to add really, you know, a lot of value to the, the businesses and the startups that are participating. Um, and, you know, there's a number of accelerators that have done that incredibly well uh, over the years. And, and that's why they're sort of still seen as, um, you know, uh, so prestigious, almost the same as sort of receiving backing from certain Silicon Valley PE firms. Uh, right. It's it's sort of like uh, and the doors that that opens for you as a result of getting into that accelerator can be quite phenomenal. So, um, again, sort of very much dependent on the accelerator and the, the team behind it uh, to make sure that it's still getting that success year on year. There's the um, I just think about the sort of changing economy you know, and the, the outlook for European economies, North American economies, economies around the world. Does that start to change the entry criteria because it's presumably going to be tougher for some startups to succeed i mean there'll, obviously there'll be some op- new opportunities perhaps created by hardship but it's, it's going to be tougher for some startups over the next few years does that start changing how you're thinking george and mark about you know which which startups to support i think it, it must be must be considered and uh and we can't be uh sort of blind to the fact that 
economies change and um, and things go up and things go down and we need to make sure that we're responsive. Um, nevertheless, I'd say uh, we will still see amazing companies backed by great investors. Um, and uh, it, it's likely that those that are um, perhaps in the top 5% of companies that are backed are probably going to see not a dissimilar uh, investment journey um, to those that have done so over the last couple of years. It might well be hard. And, uh, it might, might well be uh, slightly more onerous on that company to achieve the kind of investment that uh, that they might have achieved before, but that's not to say they won't get it. What I think it will do, though, potentially, and this is something that we that we must keep uh, sort of a watching brief on, is it might cause a, a bit of a rift in, in the ecosystem. It might cause sort of the winners who are winning big, they, they'll continue doing so, but those people who perhaps aren't able to achieve investment um, may see that get worse. Uh, and of course, we know um, from research from the likes of Extend Ventures, who we've worked with over recent years, that often... Um, that is uh, problematized even further by the fact that many of those people um, that aren't achieving investment are from underrepresented groups. So we must make sure that we continue to emphasize that. That's why as Tech Nation, we, ha we now have our Libra program. We're now in the second cohort of that for underrepresented founders, ensuring that we are uh, as far as we can and as much as we can supporting uh, underrepresented founders through um, through the good times and through the tough times um, and helping raise awareness about what they're doing, introduce them to investors, introduce them to peers and do all those good things that we've already talked about. Thank you. Maybe just to add on, I think as an accelerator and also as a VC, we need to always have a long-term view. So an economic downturn is just part of business, to be honest. Obviously, now we had a very long period of just up, up, up. And also, if we look at the numbers and uh, the rounds raised and the valuations, what we currently see is a reversion to the mean, kind of a normalization maybe on the trend that we had before. We had now very extreme years, maybe the last two especially. And now we are correcting, maybe overcorrecting a little bit here and there. But I think our focus really is to focus on the long term but at the same time not ignoring what current realities are, especially um, younger startups that have a, maybe a business model that requires a lot of long funding period without any real revenues, without any path to profitability. They will just have it much, much, much harder to survive this current downturn. But generally, I think this is not a bad um, trade anyhow, right? I think these growth only companies are less of a, yeah, of a hot topic than maybe five years ago or a few years back when uh, the focus on making money was not so prominent as it is obviously now in these times. Definitely. That's a brilliant uh, link into our next section though, thinking about the long-term view. So um, we're just going to take a very quick pause here. Don't go away. And we'll be back very shortly. Hey folks, the first ever 11FS Awards are coming this November and we need you, our listeners, to get involved in the nominations. Let us know who you think are the industry game changers, the biggest rule breakers and the best leaders. Nominate your favorite companies worthy of recognition over 14 different categories right now over at 11FSAwards.com. That's 11FSAwards.com. Get your nominations in before midnight on Monday 19th of September, then join us 
on November 16th to celebrate the best and the brightest in the fintech and financial services industry. Full details on 11fsawards.com. As the leading open banking platform, Tink enables the largest banks, lenders, and payment providers to offer exceptional user experiences. Tink offers the best way to connect to banks across Europe to build seamless services that can reach more than 250 million consumers. And they're already doing this for the likes of American Express, PayPal, and Revolut. To get started with data-driven solutions for customer onboarding, making better risk decisions, or for instant bank payments with the highest conversion rate in the industry, visit Tink.com. Okay, um, well, building on Mark's point, let's take a look at what the future might hold when it comes to tech accelerators. How will ta- startup accelerators look a decade from now. And I'm going to come straight back to you, Mark, because you're making such a good point about the long-term view and how you're already thinking a bit differently about who you might invest in. Um, does does the way you do what you do change? Um, you know, Does the metaverse <laughs> play a role? What starts to look a bit different um, over the next decade for accelerators, do you think? Mm. I think what we already now see is that in-person events and in-person programs will at least be complemented with an online and virtual part. I think we are still in the early days on how this will look like, but in 10 years, I really think we'll have figured out how to make an online event and a virtual collaboration really work. I think currently it's still very transactional. Obviously, if it just comes to uh, being efficient, online meetings are much more efficient, but maybe not as effective. And I think in the early days of a startup and also building relationships, we need to have this in-person touch. So I think there I could still see a mix but supported with new technologies, thinking virtual reality, thinking places like the metaverse, right? They will play a role. And I think also the metaverse will be a place where we have new economies coming. So building a totally new economy, potentially in a, in an open metaverse like Decentraland or Sandbox or, or any other upcoming and maybe in 10 years, totally new players. There will be people working there and there will be startups being fully developed and starting there. And I think it's our job to to explore it as well and think of it and maybe be there early. And maybe it's also a, a chance to differentiate and taking a, a longer term view, having a stick in the ground, being one of the first to to have a Metaverse accelerator, for example. I'm sure you've been thinking hard about this too, George. What, what's your view? Yeah, I'd echo many of the points that Mark has made. And as I mentioned, as Tech Nation, we're already uh, taking that sort of far more hybrid approach um, with the combination of our growth platform and our in-person events. What I would say, though, is in hearing feedback from founders and tech leaders, they really do value that human engagement. So finding ways in which we can uh, enable um, tech leaders to continue to get that incredibly valuable part of the experience is, is obviously important for us going forward. Um, but maybe it's a bit like, I don't know, some other general purpose technologies that we've seen in the past. Maybe that allows us to cut down on the time spent um, doing those things that perhaps are adding slightly less value or taking a bit more time out of our day. And we can use the combination to actually optimize on the things that are going to add most value to startups and scale ups on our programs. And that might look like, uh, 
I don't know, automating um, sign-up processes or automating judging processes from a very banal perspective, but it might go a lot further, as Mark has mentioned, into realms that maybe are, are far more additive than simply sort of uh, automating some of these things. Uh, I think uh, we are keeping our finger on the pulse. We're making sure that we're responding to the needs of the market and responding to feedback from the people we work with. Um, but time is to tell, I think, and the opportunity that the metaverse and a whole range of other technologies that surround it um, sort of offer um, is, is to be realized. I think that what holds true, nevertheless, is that the companies we work with are companies of ambitious, innovative, um, go-getting people. And uh, ultimately, we're going to need those human experiences to continue into the future. Thank you. Valentina, do you think there's areas that accelerators need to focus on more in the in the future we you know we often talk on fintech insider about you know the lack of funding sometimes for, for female-backed vcs um you know george and mark and you have all been talking about some of the you know the challenges facing startups over the next few years clearly there are some some startups that are maybe less, slightly less commercial models maybe looking at areas of financial exclusion and so on do you think there are areas that risk sort of not getting the attention they should or, or founders who risk getting overlooked are there any sort of things you worry about in the future i mean i definitely think um that absolutely there will be there will be pockets of um of startups and founders that will be overlooked unfortunately um you know for, for one reason or another and we see that not just in the accelerator space we see it throughout um the you know the the sort of investment realm from vc to private equity um I think, though, that's where kind of going back to one of the points that's been raised throughout this conversation, the, the saturation of the market, the huge number of accelerators, that is a way where they can really differentiate, right? If they can get more specialized, focus on a specific vertical or a specific demographic, a specific geographic location, um, you know, all of those uh, can help them to identify uh, strong founders, strong businesses, um, and then build their ecosystem around that, right, with the right investors, ones that might have a specific focus or a specific fund focused on female-founded businesses or um, businesses founded by a black Asian or minority ethnic founder, uh, businesses that are outside of London, for example, uh, and in other parts of, of the UK and so on. So I think, uh, you know, that's that's something which, uh, that's a way in which accelerators can um sort of uh, counter some of the challenges that we've been we've been talking about earlier in this in this discussion. Do we think we'll see more sort of accelerators in in, in other markets and, and and how's that how's that going to happen is that going to be F10 opening you know more and more offices are we going to see more accelerators emerging in you know different countries around the world um, how do we think how do you think the accelerators will grow internationally? I mean, for us, it's definitely something we are looking at at F10, like what would be a potential next region. Currently, we are moving into the Nordics because we see an ESG or climate play and uh, um, an, a request also from the customers as well as employees in the Nordics, maybe stronger than maybe in other regions. So we are going where opportunities are. 
And that's for us with our business model, usually two sides. One is having good and great startups, but the other one is also having financial institutions that would want to collaborate with with those startups and would want to uh, tackle what we call open innovation, the innovation that doesn't come from the inside of an organization, but really from the outside. And so these are definitely drivers for us to look into know more regions. I think, however, technology and looking 10 years into the future, the where will be less relevant because not every program will need travel and a lot can maybe done virtually remote and then you have more um, bigger events, gatherings where then uh, maybe um, less frequent touch point in person, but maybe more meaningful and more on the exchange rather than just conveying information. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And for, for me, I think it's going to be far more about effective knowledge exchange between different parts of the world than necessarily that that sort of going and dropping pins in a map, right? Um, as Tech Nation, we're working a lot with the Department for International Trade, um, really thinking about how UK companies can get access to markets and uh, expand internationally. Of course, we know that the domestic market is strong in the UK, um, but companies are thinking about international expansion very, very early in their life cycle. So facilitating that and providing information, providing connections, um, providing a network um, that is ready-made and helps a company land and expand quickly is, is really important. So for us as Tech Nation, that's really where we see uh, a sort of uh, a really important um, route going forward. Um, that said, I think there are opportunities that, that, that need to be capitalized on in person again. And I think that the technology will augment and, uh, and develop experiences, um, that we're able to have in person or that we're able to generate, um, through based, in, um, working with people in a local setting. And of course, clustering happens because of proximity. And I think that will remain important. So I think it's about getting the right balance. Um, and certainly we're, again, thinking about how we continue to support UK companies and their growth journey in the best way possible. Fantastic. All right, I've got one last quick question for you, Valentina, and then I'm going to close with a question for all of you. So um, we've talked a lot about startups and, and, and so on, but there's also scale-ups and there's sort of medium-sized businesses that maybe lose their way a little bit and so on. Um, and even some big companies that really could do with, you know, a little bit of digital culture. Um, Valentina, could you ever see a world in which sort of medium-sized businesses are maybe, you know, getting a bit of help from an accelerator? Do you think you could ever apply some of the, the sort of techniques, the mentoring, et cetera, to medium-sized companies? Um, is that a trick that you think could work? Absolutely. And I think, you know, you see that already with, with some of, um, you know, some of the programs that exist already, right, within, um, for example, Tech Nation, the sort of the scale, scale up focus. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you're a startup, the expectations are very different, right? If you, you know, there's probably not an expectation for you to be profitable uh, when, you, when you're coming into, uh, you know, into a program like that. Um, you know, there's probably not an expectation for you to have clearly defined ESG strategy, for example, um, uh, and so on. I think once you get to that next stage of growth, and let's say you you have reached profitability or you're close to, to being profitable, um, you know, then you might have very different needs. And actually, raising capital may not be one of them, right? Because you're obviously, um, you know, self-sufficient in terms of your funding, but you might still find huge value in the networking, in the mentoring, in being part of the ecosystem, 
potential partnerships with other fintechs um, and other businesses. So I think um, absolutely it would just need to be curated. And I would imagine there'd obviously be a smaller number of um, of businesses that would be part of those cohorts as well. Fantastic. But I mean, we've, you know, we, we were in the FIS Accelerator last year as a scale-up business and, uh, and we certainly found value from that. Okay, my last quick fire question for you all is what would be your one piece of advice to anyone thinking of taking their startup into an accelerator? And why don't we start with you, George? Absolutely. So uh, I think be really clear on what you want to get out of it, but also be flexible enough to, um, I guess, maneuver throughout that journey. Talk to people and get advice from those people that have been there and done it, but also know that you represent the next wave of innovation, the next wave of growth. And so don't be afraid to take that advice with a pinch of salt. And Mark? Well, for me, I think it comes down to what we touched before around it's a buffet know what you want to eat and be selective. Don't think you can overeat on everything. Like also making connection to George's point here, right? You can't do it all 100%, but if you choose the right things to eat from, then there's definitely enough and a lot. Um, also making sure that you are fully aware in those five months, three months, whatever long the program is, you can actually make a huge jump if you believe so and if you focus on it. And then a lot also trust the process, right? We know and we have seen so many batches. So in Zurich now we are in batch nine. We do that every half a year. And um, yeah, we have seen so many. So trust the process and focus on making new mistakes and learning from all other mistakes that we have already seen and can basically help you avoid. I think that's a key one. And then the last one is really have fun and make connections. And we see definitely with the cohorts, we get in person together and they are six weeks together on the ground in the F10 uh, program that they build lifelong relationships, at least like startup long relationships. And you might not have the, um, the partner at home that you can really be 100% honest about your struggles and you need to have a little bit uh, the, the uh, yeah the rosa rote brille how we would call it like that uh, like these tinted glasses that maybe um, people outside need but then you have these friends that you made and you can really talk about how like these cycles the low and the highs are affecting you and getting advice and definitely when it's also going bad so making sure you have fun enjoy the ride and make those connections and Valentina. Yeah, I mean, uh, to come up with something different, as a lot of the points that have been made uh, are, are definitely ones I would have said as well. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, they're obviously, accelerators will be selective about um, the businesses that join their cohort, you know, be selective as well about choosing the right accelerator for you. Um, as we've discussed uh, quite a bit on this uh, podcast already, there's a huge number of accelerators out there. So speak to, uh, you know, startups and businesses that have participated in previous cohorts, ask those founders for their honest opinions on, you know, the investor network, on the mentoring that they received, on the benefits they've had since, et cetera, because, um, you know, that will really help you to, to determine if it's the right accelerator program for you um, and the right time for your business to join a program like that. Fantastic. Some really, really good advice in, in that. Thank you all. Unfortunately, that wraps up today's discussion, but it's been brilliant having you all on. Thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find out a little bit more about you and your companies? Uh, Valentina, where can people find out more about you? Sure. So if you want to find out more about Oak North, uh, visit our website, www.oaknorth.com. And if you want to connect with me, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. And Mark? Yes. So our website would be f10.global. 
And then for me, it's also the best on LinkedIn. Just Mark Oliver Hauser, F10, you will definitely find me. And George. Yeah, so if you're a scale-up um, and you'd like to join our growth platform, you can go to growth.technation.io. Uh, if you're not, but you're interested um, in finding more about TechNation and what we are able to offer, go to technation.io. And you can find me, Benjamin Ensor, on LinkedIn or on 11fs.com. So thank you all for listening. If you like what you've heard, uh, please subscribe to our podcast and uh, do leave us a review to help us know what we can make better. If you want to join the conversation, uh, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider uh, or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you all so much. Thank you again to the panelists and goodbye. Goodbye.